guys, and welcome to episode 204 of SwiftCast. This is Ashley. Steph. And Adam. And we have just such an awesome episode for you guys. I'm so excited for you to hear it. We just chatted with Brian Mansfield, and it was probably the most fun interview we've ever done. Absolutely. Yeah, he's one of the people that has known Taylor for the longest amount of time. He was actually the first person that she followed on Twitter when she joined Twitter. And he was a music journalist for USA Today all the way from 1997 up through 2015. So he was always covering everything Taylor was doing. And now he's moved into sort of a PR role at a different company. But he's just been able to have such a great professional relationship with Taylor over the years and been so supportive and is always just really great about interacting with her fans as well. And I just feel so lucky that we were able to get him call in. Absolutely. He's been just a mainstay throughout Taylor's whole career. And so to be able to talk to him was such an honor. And he gave a lot of insight into what he thinks is coming up on Taylor's next album, some stories about her from the past. And it's just a a great, great interview. So without any further ado, here's our interview with Brian Mansfield. Please welcome Brian Mansfield. Hey, thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. We're so excited. Absolutely. Yeah. As fans, we've obviously been following you for a very long time. Great. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. (laughs) I feel like it's refreshing for us as fans to know that you are always a journalist who is so supportive of Taylor and that you could still be a critic, but we would always look to you for like really fair commentary of anything she might be doing. Well, I, and I always used to joke with her because it, it, it was it was nice because she was always putting out work that was easy to support. Uh, but but I, I would joke with her occasionally. It's like if you put out something bad, I'll sell you out in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably lucky that she's then so consistent with such great songs. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> but okay, so before we did this interview, we asked people on Twitter. What would you like us to ask Brian? And of course, all we were flooded with was questions about Taylor's anticipated sixth album, but we can just get out of the way that you know nothing about this. I really don't. I I can surmise a few things, but but I really don't know anything. And it's and it's weird for me, and I, I totally get why there's those questions, because usually at this point in the cycle, I would have begun to hear things. I mean, I remember with like Red and Speak Now, Scott Borchetta saying, oh, she's been recorded. She had a whole album recorded back in January, but she's, you know, she's done a whole album's worth of stuff since then. Or, you know, her mom would say something and I, I would just be in a position to hear things. And I just haven't this time. So you guys probably know more than I do. <laughs> Which is very little, if anything. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I remember with 1989, you tweeted this tweet about how you overheard how great it was, and it went completely viral. Right. I remember being so excited when I saw your tweet. I was I was just thinking about that today, because, because that's the sort of thing that I'm talking about. And it occurred to me, I don't think I ever told anybody who said that. I don't think you did. I, yeah, and I, I, I because I, I couldn't until the album came out because that just wouldn't have been appropriate uh, because it really it really was something that I was standing near somebody or near a group of people who were having a conversation and I overheard it um, and so I, I couldn't attribute it and I, I couldn't say anything until the album was out then when the album was out nobody cared anymore <laughs> but it was Andrea. Oh wow! Okay. Oh, that makes sense. So, little little bit of little bit of trivia there, because I, I I never I don't think I've ever told anybody, but yeah, it was just something I heard Andrea say. Well, I think that with every album, of course, there's always been the anticipation of people just wanting to be reassured that she's working. But with this going, you know, close to a year beyond the normal cycle, it's at a new level of desperation for any sort of info. <laughs> Well, you know what, because I would always watch the patterns and, you know, I mean, there was, there was a pretty established two year pattern with her for so long. And I think that 
you know, I think the tour ran a little bit longer uh, last time than it had before. And I think she got just away from everything to decompress some. But if you if you think back to what you would see before, you're you're starting to see the same things that you did as the album cycle would begin to ramp up. Because after a tour, she would be really quiet for a long time and you wouldn't hear things. You wouldn't, she wouldn't be out in the press. She wouldn't be doing interviews. You barely see her in public. And, mm-hmm. um, and goodness knows we've certainly had that. Uh, but, the, but the fact that she has apparently been very intentionally incommunicado for so long, uh, that suggests to me that she's working uh, because I, I think one of the things that people tend to overlook about Taylor is that she's very much a studio rat. She likes to get in and make music and be, you know, be in the studio or be in a place that she can write. And, um, you know, we, we, we think of her so much as the celebrity and we see all the paparazzi shots. She really likes to get in and work and do the hard work of recording. And uh, that's my guess as to what she's been doing. Now, we are just now starting to see uh, pictures of her actually with people, yeah, actually with young men. Um, and that's usually something that we start to see right before there's music ready because that, that has tended to mean that she's done working and she's relaxing a little bit. She's having a bit of a social life before the hard work of putting out an album begins. And so I, I think the fact that there's a boy means that <laughs> there's probably also an album. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we've definitely noticed that pattern too. And we try to not speculate too much about her personal life, but I've just wondered, since it's taken so much longer for this album to come out, if it was anything along the lines of, you know, maybe she had material she was working on during the 1989 tour around that time. And maybe for whatever reason, she decided to scrap some of that and create new songs. I don't know. I just wonder if there's a creative reason behind the wait. I I, I wouldn't think so. I, I would think that it really had more to do with just getting some real time away from everything and actually having a life as opposed to having a career because when you're in when you're in that kind of cycle you are going so hard so fast for so long with no days off and constant travel and constantly doing this and doing that that you really have to have weeks and even months of downtime just to get where you feel like your life is back balanced again um, I mean, I, and I'm, I'm sure she's always writing notes and things that uh, could turn into songs or that, you know, she's, she's, I don't know if she takes a portable studio of some sort with her on the road, but that certainly wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I, I know, I know a lot of artists do that. I don't think I ever knew that actually. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it may, it may not be anything more than just, you know, something you can plot. I mean, yeah, your, your laptop, I mean, cause you can you can record entire albums on your laptop. And so if she's got garage band on her Mac and she's gets an idea, play an acoustic guitar, cut a track, you know, and do a demo like that and then turn it into something later. Um, that's, you know, you're, you're, you're always writing down ideas. You're always making those kinds of notes and then seeing what they turn into later. Um, but then it just becomes a matter of what do I like enough to keep uh, what can I come up with that's even better than what I had before? So, and 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 I don't I don't know enough about like what's in the vault with her to know how much she writes and just doesn't use. I mean, we saw the little Big Town song, uh, mm-hmm. so we know we know there's stuff out there that she's writing and sending to people if she thinks that it might be something that they could use. You know, no, I don't think anybody really knows how much there is of that. Yeah, I think we've always kind of been under the impression that there was a lot of that because specifically Ed Sheeran has said that they have written tons of songs that have never gotten out. So I guess we just assume that she must have a lot of solo songs like that, too. Right. Well, and Ryan Adams talked about that they had written 
some stuff together. I don't think they wrote much, but that they had done something. So, I mean, that's just kind of what she does. She writes songs with people or by herself. And one more thing regarding this upcoming album that I wanted to ask Brian was we among our co-hosts here have debated the idea of if she would release an album out of the blue, just like one random day you wake up and there's a brand new album. Or do you think she'll go with the traditional route of releasing a single, say, late in the summer and then releasing a full album in the fall with a lot of promotion? Yeah, she just always has struck me as really being somebody that set things up. I I don't see her doing a Beyonce and just going, yep, here we got new music. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put anything past her, but that would, that would really surprise me because she and big machine have always been very intentional about putting things in place and setting things up and getting, yeah, getting the fans worked up to just complete fever pitch for things like that. Yeah, I tend to agree. And while I'm sure there's some PR benefits that come with the shock and surprise value, I think she has a lot more to gain by being slow and strategic about it like she usually is. Yeah. And I mean, and the, the, the dropping stuff is sort of a novelty. It's, it's, it's sort of a novelty game. And it's also something that, that has been proven to work really well in the hip hop community. But, uh, and, and obviously she's not part of that community. And, and I don't really think she needs the novelty of it. Mm-hmm. Well, and we noticed that she followed this Twitter live video that, does live streams so a lot of people take everything she does and examine it with a magnifying glass but some people are wondering if maybe she'll use that as promotion for her next album oh i have no idea (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean people were also adding up the date of her concert in austin in october to 13 and taking that to mean she was dropping the album in austin (laughs) (laughs) True. There was an entire article in some newspaper literally about some crazy math they were doing to try and like make this theory that definitely did not pan out. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I yeah, I mean, I could see finding those things after the fact, but if if she's if she's planning something like that, it's going to only be something where you see the pattern after the fact. Yeah, nobody'll crack it beforehand. Exactly. Like I remember when she announced Red the day she was announcing it, she posted a video on Twitter where it had like a red backdrop and nobody knew why that was. Yeah. So it's always funny to look back on those kinds of things later. Yeah, it is. And then last week or in the past couple of weeks, there was a screen cap going around that she had apparently registered a song to the ASCAP database with the title had nothing but a time we never had. I saw that. And, and actually it was, if as, as I looked at that, and I didn't look at it really hard, but but only 50% of that was registered with ASCAP, and she's a BMI writer, and and there was a co-writer listed, and I have I'd never heard of the co-writer, but so the co-writer would have been the ASCAP person, and uh, and, and so Taylor's 50% would be with BMI. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I think it can be confusing for fans sometimes to try and understand that business side of it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and it's the sort of thing I've had, I've had to do a lot of research at different times into the ASCAP and the BMI databases. So I've had the opportunity to read a few of those. If you're just going in and it's the first one you've ever looked at, it's just, it's not going to make any sense to you. But I, that's, that's what I took away from it, that if there's a song by that title, um, there's a co-writer that we've never heard of and I couldn't find any trace of. And, and he's a, an ASCAP writer. <laughs> huh. So, but I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't extrapolate any more than that. And I couldn't even tell you if that's actually her song because her name is attached to it, but it wasn't her doing it. Were you surprised at all when it was revealed that she wrote, this is what you came for? Yeah, a little bit. Because that was, I mean, she had a pen name. I think we were all pretty shocked. Yeah, I mean, I mean, all of the all of the stuff that 
that I've heard that she's had a hand in. Again, you go back and you listen to it and you go, well, of course that's her. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> It seems so obvious. Now. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, so that, that's the sort of thing that's, that's got me checking the, you know, the, the writer credits for the Lord album and listening for on the bleachers record. Oh, yeah. and <laughs> <laughs> well, something else that, interesting happened on ASCAP the song Babe which Taylor she let people know back in 2012 she had worked with Pat Monahan on a song called Babe and we never heard anything else about it but it was also registered on ASCAP last week oh okay well there you go I say I, I, like like I said you know more about this than I do now <laughs> it, I'm just not sure what to make of it I hope maybe that means we'll actually get to hear it because like you said, there are so many songs that we know she's done, but we've never heard yeah. before. Well, and, and that's the other thing about registering songs there is just because they're registered doesn't mean anything's happening with them. I mean, if you if you go in and you look at the database or if you if you go in and search for somebody that's a songwriter and not a songwriter artist like Taylor, you will sometimes find hundreds and hundreds of songs that you've never heard of and nothing ever happened with and just didn't go anywhere. Um, so you can't, you can't read too much into those. It's really interesting to look at that and see that sort of stuff, but you can't, you can't read too much into them. That's good to know. Well, speaking of collaborators, what are you hoping for in terms of collaborators and the genre of the upcoming album and the subject matter? I know that on Twitter you mentioned a couple names, Jack Antonoff, Ryan Adams, and Chris Caraba. Yeah. Well, now, the one thing that, the one piece of chatter that I do keep hearing is uh, Jack Antonoff being associated with the project. Um that's not coming that's not coming from anybody inside her camp at least not directly um but i know because i've talked with jack a few times over the years i actually met jack i think i actually met jack before i met taylor uh met him at bonnaroo one of the first three or four years of bonnaroo oh, cool that's awesome yeah and um so so i know that they got along really really well and that was a collaborative pairing that really only just seemed to be getting started with 1989. I mean, they, they just, they really seemed to connect. And so I would, I would be very surprised if Jack Antonoff is not on this record significantly. I agree. And I know a few weeks ago, I read an interview with him where he said, I'm working on a bunch of things I can't talk about yet. So of course, I want to assume that's Taylor. But then today, as someone asked him the same question, and he said, we haven't talked about it. We're just hanging out as friends. So I was like, uh-huh, sure you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and, and, and producers working at Jack's level are always going to be working on projects that they can't talk about because you never, they never know right. when stuff's not going to come out. And I've just become such a huge fan of his. I guess maybe I'm more of a bandwagon fan because I didn't realize what a huge body of work he had for all the years. I just kind of became aware of him through Taylor. And now I love Bleachers and I love all the work he did with Lord. And I just, I feel like he could do so much more with Taylor that would be incredible. Yeah. 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 Because I mean, they, they really both come from that, that love of the song. They're very big into making good songs and good records. And they're also wildly creative. I mean, Jack, if you look through his history, uh, I mean, you know, bleachers and fun and just all sorts of stuff that he's been doing. And now going into the producer role, uh, they're really a good fit, but they come from very different places, but they value a lot of the same things. And, so I, I just I wouldn't be surprised to see him all over this record in in some shape, whether it's as a songwriter or producer or both or um, it could be anything. That's that's the one person that I'd be surprised not to see on the record. What do you think about Max Martin and Johann Schellbeck returning? I 
I, I think it's entirely possible. I don't, I don't see why she wouldn't unless she just is wanting to go in a different direction. But mm-hmm. I, you know, I mean, that, that could really go either way. It just, it just kind of depends on what she wants to do. I mean, she's at, she's at the point where she could work literally with anybody in the world that she would want to. And I think the issue with her is not, do I want to work with those people again? But is there somebody else that I want to see what happens if I work with them? Right. And that could be any, yeah, you know, that could be anybody, anything. And I mean, obviously they're such great producers and work with so, so many artists. Sometimes I start to worry that because they work with so many top 40 artists that it could limit her creatively. Not that the song still wouldn't be great, but that maybe there is a new sound or a twist on a sound she hasn't tapped into that she could if she branched out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's that's one of the things that you look at with Taylor is that she's always trying to stay one step ahead of the game. She's not interested in sounding like what you're hearing on the radio right now or what other people are sounding like. She's looking to create something new that's in her head that pushes that pushes the envelope, pushes whatever format she's working in a different direction. And so it, it so it would not surprise me at all if she's working with a very different group of people uh, beyond Jack, who I think, who I suspect she is working with. Do you think she would ever go back to, I guess, more of her roots and write an entire album by herself? Um, yeah, I think anything's anything's possible with her. I mean, if you, you look at, you know, she's she's just now like in her late twenties, and she's 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 right now at the point where artists tend to make their biggest and most lasting work. Um, I think it'll be hard for her to do anything bigger than she's done already, but, uh, but she's, she's still got a lot of time to be making music. So I, I, I think that given what we've seen from her so far, where she has literally gotten better with every record and really made these huge artistic leaps with every record, I don't know that she has peaked creatively yet. And so I, I could I could see her going any number of directions over the course of the next 10 or 20 or 30 years. I think at some point, yeah, that probably uh, means an album that she does entirely herself. I wouldn't be surprised to see her kind of take an Emmylou Harris route at some point and do a very acoustic record. I don't think we're anywhere near that at this point, but... It's the sort of thing that I wouldn't put it past her because I know that she values all of those things as much as she values the big pop productions that she's doing now. So let's talk a little bit about streaming. Obviously, it was huge news when Taylor put her entire catalog on all streaming services. Right. So given her article that she drafted for the Wall Street Journal back in 2014 with her position on streaming and... I think in music industry, three years is a really long time. But what do you think about her changing her position a little bit here? I think that at some level, it's just the reality of the business. And as big as she is and as as good as that might, is staying off of this, most of the streaming sites might be for her individually. It's just... It's not something that works in the larger world. I think it would have become more difficult for her to do the kinds of things that she wants to do if the only place you could listen to her music online was just one place. Uh, and and so I think it's just a, a it, it's 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 kind of a different battle now than it was three years ago. And streaming is obviously becoming the way that most of us are listening to music, especially as you get younger. And, and I just, I, d- I don't think she could have done that with an exclusive deal. Yeah. And I mean, I guess they've tried to account for it a little bit in that they're sort of figuring out how to count that for album sales. Right. I mean, and it, and it counts for album sales, but I mean, that's, that's really just sort of something for the people of the industry to give them a gauge. I mean, the the real issue is, are people going to get paid? Are you going to be able to build a career using that? And a lot of those questions still have to be answered for the long term. But I think the one thing that 
is very hard to do is build a career either not on the streaming sites or using exclusives for entire catalogs. I mean, just right after Taylor uh, put her music on Spotify, you saw Bob Seger, who had been one of the best known holdouts forever, uh, putting his music on streaming services. Uh, before Taylor, Garth Brooks finally made a deal to be on any streaming service. Yeah, he's got his deal with Amazon. So I mean, yeah, even, even the holdouts are beginning to go, yeah, this is just the way things are done. We got to, we got to be in the game. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I have to think that, so for example, with 1989, Taylor had the one, she had the limited edition Polaroids that you could collect if you bought multiple albums. And then two, she had a sweepstakes where you could enter codes from the albums to win tickets or meet her. So I feel like she must have something like that in mind for how she's going to keep her sales strong for the next one. Yeah. I mean, her, her CDs have always been as much souvenirs as software, you know, whether it's the code, the, uh, the messages in the lyrics or the Polaroids in 1989 or whatever. I mean, so she knows that people want to have that piece there. They want something that they can go buy. So so there's 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 gonna be that aspect to it. She's she's done that since the very beginning, but I think just in terms in terms of how people listen, people don't listen on CDs, uh, especially people younger than fifty. Uh, I mean, cars aren't even coming with CD players. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, you buy the CD to have the CD to to be able to say I bought something of Taylor's today. Uh, but how are you going to listen? Well, you're going to listen on Spotify or Apple Music or Pandora or something like that. That's how you're going to listen on your phone, but you're going to have the CD tucked away on a shelf somewhere. Yeah, I just went to Target to buy Melodrama on Friday, but I have nowhere to listen to it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So I've just been listening on Spotify, but I felt like I wanted to give her the album sale and have it on my shelf. So yeah, I went and did that and I'm glad I did. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you really you really have to think of CDs these days more as merch and souvenir sales than how you listen. I actually remember Scott Borchetta saying something very similar to that about five years ago when I went to see him give a talk. So I think it's great that Taylor is surrounded by so many smart people who I know will help her navigate any of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they're 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 looking for all sorts of interesting marketing opportunities so but but streaming is just that's just how you listen do you think she can outsell 1989 <sighs> well, I mean, not not in terms of physical sales i mean it, you know when when you do the streaming equivalents who knows i mean that's that's all just shuffling numbers uh but no she's not she's not going to sell as many physical cds as she did the last time around. You just don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, she may go 10 times platinum once you factor in all the streaming numbers. I mean, look at the streaming numbers she's already gotten just from being on Spotify a few weeks. But in, in terms of actual CDs pressed and shipped, nah. Well, I think one of the benefits maybe of her being on Spotify is that people who are just casual fans and only know the radio singles can now be exposed to so many other songs of hers that they never would have heard or known about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just, it's, it, 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 you just, I'm not, I'm not even sure what to say there. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I just wonder if that will turn some of those people into maybe bigger fans that will then buy tickets to see her where they might not have, or start to like her more than just as a casual fan. I don't know. I mean, you probably get some of that, but, but there's still nothing like a good old fashioned radio hit or, Uh, a song and a movie to that that's going to drive that so much more than somebody going and and hearing story of us or treacherous or something like that on Spotify. Those are such great songs though. (laughs) (laughs) We just want every song to be a single. That's always our problem. Yeah, exactly. So do you think given the change with streaming in recent years, do you think the new album will just be immediately streamed? I don't know about that uh, because you've you've heard Spotify be open to the idea of staggered releases or things not being available on the free tier, but only being being available to premium. Um, 
those statements came out when they would have had to have been negotiating with Taylor. If you look again, if you look at it in retrospect, that's probably when they were talking to her. Um, yeah. So it would it would not surprise me to have one of those situations where you only get it if it's um, if you're a premium subscriber or you get it six weeks later if you're free subscriber. So, so that, yeah, there's, there's, there's probably something special coming down the pike with the new record, but I don't know the specifics of what that would look like. So then what about Apple music? Do you think she'll just use both platforms? Yeah, I think, I, I, I think the, my, my guess is that the exclusives are over in terms of streaming. Yeah. I kind of figured that maybe it was more centered around them releasing the 1989 live movie. And just all of the promotion around that. And so now that that's kind of died down, it makes sense to be yeah. to branch out more. And, and they, I mean, and they probably paid her a ton of money for that exclusive. But but actually, I mean, you know, we were talking about signs of the coming album. And to, to me, the single biggest sign that we have begun the album cycle is her putting her music on all the streaming services. Because that means that the distribution system for whatever is coming next is now in place. And so I, I think that I, I, I think that going to the streaming services starts the clock on the album cycle. I agree. And I feel like it was kind of like her saying, Hey, I'm still here after being so quiet Yeah, without her actually go. having to do anything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, but also to, you know, people are talking about Taylor and people are talking not just about Taylor, but people are talking about Taylor's music now right and so it's you know it's it's about the music it's not about what she's wearing it's not about what award show she's on it's not about who she's dating it's about the music and when taylor gets people to start talking about music that usually means there's more music coming and i mean that's that's one of the things uh, we were talking about all the how how she kind of went radio silent for so long and that's one of the big things I think that suggests that she's got music. Also, in in kind of a weird backwards way, I think the fact that she did not sing uh, a national anthem or make an appearance at a Nashville Predators game during the Stanley Cup run um, probably says something too. Because you know, given the people that the Predators got, and given the fact that if I remember correctly, she debuted their gold jerseys. At one of her Nashville shows, she was the first person people saw in those gold jerseys that are now their signature thing. Um, you know they went and asked her to do the national anthem or to do something in that. And so I, I got to think they made her say no. And I know she's a fan. <laughs> and I know there's a Nashville, there's a natural predators tie-in. And the fact that she didn't do anything to me, that says she knows that the first time she shows up at something like that, that's that we are officially in album cycle. And the fact that she couldn't do that, but that the streaming comes right on top of that, that tells me that things are ramping up. We're almost there, but not quite. <laughs> exactly. That actually makes me think about how the other day we were talking amongst ourselves and speculating about where she would launch album six. because. For 1989, obviously, New York was the backdrop, but she doesn't really have a, a geographic location where she's been featured at all recently. So we were kind of wondering how she'll handle that. I don't know. It depends on what's on the album. I mean, the album had a New York song, so it made sense. So Right. Right. Every other previous album announcement has always taken place from Nashville, but she could easily go somewhere else new or reveal a house that we don't even know she bought yet yeah so yeah i mean there's there, there could be anything or the fact that there was a country single from little big town that she wrote that could that could mean something it could not mean something um you know i mean there there are things she I, i'm sure she has done things that mean something and i'm sure she has done things that um have misled us into thinking they mattered more than they did that's just the kind of girl she is i think she takes a little bit of humor in that because I remember before 1989, there was this big rumor about roses. People thought roses had something to do with the album because she kept wearing floral prints and like Instagramming some pictures of flowers. 
Yeah. So, I mean, and that's that's one one of my very favorite things about her is that she has this very carefully cultivated sense of whimsy, um, and she just she she loves the the cryptic coy stuff. Uh, she loves the dropping hints. She loves to do things that just are just crazy random. Um, it, and she does so much of that that you know she works really, really hard to come up with things to amuse herself, if nobody else. Uh, and and I just that's that is one of the things that I love about her most. I just I just love that. I think that's one of the things that sets her apart from other artists so much. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, because because not everybody has that. I mean, I I think you find anybody with her level of success works as hard as she does. They've either got great business people around them or they've got great business minds of their own. There, you know, there, there are lots of people that do all of those things, but one of the things that makes her really unique is she, she, she works very hard to stay connected to her fans. She's got this just weird ability to make you feel like that you are her best friend or that you could be her best friend or that y'all would just have a great time hanging out together if you ran into each other at the grocery store. Um, you know, because, you know, I, I, I even get that, even though I know that it's, that, that what we have is really just a working relationship, but still it's, it, it, it feels like more than it actually is because that's just, that's just how people feel about Taylor. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's clear that she's always gone out of her way to be really friendly to you over the years. Well, she goes out of her way to be really friendly to everybody. I mean, that's that's one of the reasons that that she's such a big success. I mean, really, in terms of that, I I have to compare her to Garth Brooks because Garth, it is the freakiest thing in the world. Garth has the apparent ability to remember the name and personal details of every single person he's ever met. I mean, we, I was at his, I was at his hundred million sales party years ago with my wife. First time that they had ever met and there were maybe 2000 people at this place. Garth said hello to all of them. Comes up to me, says hello to me. He knows me, goes, you must be Nancy. Had never met my wife. Wow. That's amazing. That means that Garth knew the names of every person in that room and their spouses. And Taylor, I don't know that Taylor can do that, but she does stuff like that. You know, she'll just show up at the party. She'll crash the wedding. She'll, you know, send (laughs) just just as as a joke, another writer, Chris Willman and I, uh, invited her to dinner during the CMA Music Festival, or not, uh, during CMA Music Awards Week. We knew she'd say no because those schedules are done months in advance. But and uh, but one day there's a knock on my door and there's a courier with an envelope and it's got a gift card to a local restaurant and a note from Taylor scrawled on the envelope. And so she bought our dinner and we all, and Chris and I went to dinner on Taylor. <laughs> Cool. Wow. That's awesome. But she does, you know, she does stuff like, you know, she shows up at weddings and birthday parties and sends people Christmas gifts. And, you know, she just does crazy stuff like that. And she works really hard to do that. That's part of what keeps her grounded. It's part of what keeps her connected to her fans. Yeah, I know we've often seen when she'll do her radio meet and greets on tour, she'll send all of those radio people personalized handwritten thank you notes. She'll mention their children's names we've seen that over and over again yeah yeah the 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 children's names is the big thing well and that's when um when i went to the 1989 listening in nashville she didn't invite me oh yeah we want to hear all about that (laughs) yeah she she didn't invite me she invited my daughter i was just the chaperone oh interesting really yeah my daughter was the one that got the invitation so your daughter was contacted and told you about it (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, I mean, I knew it was coming. It was, it was basically, it basically Tree called me and said, um, we'd like to invite your daughter to something and you need to come with her. Like, okay. <laughs> so yeah, tell us about that experience. I mean, we obviously heard about it from fans, but just 
I guess I would want to know what it was like for you watching fans experience this with Taylor. Oh, I love that because I, I never really seen how that works in person. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, that sort of stuff is the kind of stuff that, that I've done quite a bit of, not necessarily with Taylor, but with, with different people, it's, it's not uncommon to have, a couple of dozen press people or radio people and you have them into the house and you listen to the music and you talk about it and stuff like that. So I, I've been at stuff like that before, but I'd never been at something like that. where just, you know, 89 fans are there to get that kind of experience. And she's like, you know, here's the piano we wrote this song on and, Oh, I baked you these cookies and (laughs) yeah. yeah, And, and, and all of that. So it was just, it was, it was a great experience and it was, it was really interesting to see how everybody interacted because you, you could tell that there were some people that it was just all they could do to keep it together. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your and your daughter's first impression of hearing 1989 for the first time? I, you know, I think it was the same as everybody else's. Of course, me, I'm taking notes and scrawling stuff and you know trying to remember trying trying to write down what I think so I could remember what I thought later mm-hmm. um, I you know Grace Gracelyn I remember uh, Gracelyn got to play with the cat she I think I think it was I think it was Meredith I never can keep them straight because I've only seen the one that one time but I think it was Meredith so she got to like sit with Meredith for a good chunk of the of the night so she was she was into that and I mean she and, and she had met Taylor several times so it was not the Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Thing that it was for for so many other people, right? Um, but you know, but she was dancing along and laughing at all the right spots, and you know, and Taylor's like doing uh, the the hand motions for everything, and she and Graceland's trying to remember those because she was into that sort of thing. It was just it was I mean it was a lot of fun. It was the same. It was pretty much the same for us as it was for all the fans. It just wasn't the first time that we had done something like that. And did the album sort of meet your expectations of what you've been hearing, or did it completely shock you and blow you away? Um, yeah, I would say it, it, it met it met my expectations. Uh, it was the, the the thing that I really that I thought was really special about 1989 is her melodies changed a lot. Um, that it really it really was the first album that you couldn't hear that pop punk influence with her. Because to me, once I found out what a big Dashboard Confessional fan she was as a teenager, uh, I could always hear Chris Caraba's influence in pretty much everything that she did. I mean, if you if you listen to a Dashboard Confessional album and you listen to Red, it's just you it's just right there. I can totally hear that. Yeah, that yeah. Was my first concerts in high school, so I love that she's such a fan of them. Yeah, and and. But the melodies on 1989 do not sound like Chris Caraba. And and so that was the big development for me there, was just hearing how different the songs sounded. They were still great songs. They were still really carefully crafted. But 1989 does not sound anything like Red. And how did you like the tour? And uh, which shows did you get to go to? Did you go to a couple? I, I, w- I went to two. I went to the first night. I covered the first night for USA Today. So I drove down to Bo- I drove down to Bossier City, saw the show, and drove back. I think I spent the night in Arkansas just to like have a place to write the story and crash, and then get up at six the next morning and drive in. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so I so I saw it there, and then I saw I saw the show in Nashville where Mick Jagger came out. Awesome. Oh, awesome. yeah. And so, yeah, it was, it was great. I mean, in the, you know, the, the catwalk or whatever it was that did the, the whole lift. I mean, it was an amazing show. She does, she does just incredible productions. Um, I was astonished at how much she was able to get away with doing almost only the 1989 album and just a few other hits that you knew she had to do. Uh, it, it, it kind of reminded me of a Neil Young concert, the kind of the kind of stunt that he would pull, where it's like, no, we're just going to do the new album tonight. We'll do a few songs to make you happy, but we're doing all of the new album. Almost nobody just comes out and does the new album, especially when there's only a couple of singles. <laughs> and the, the fact that she could do a full production 
of just that album and work in a few other things that she made sound different enough so that they sounded like that album. Uh, that I, I loved that. I thought that was just all sorts of cool. And I think that goes back to the fan engagement because there was a big social media movement of when Taylor was so active on Tumblr and Twitter of people who said, we want to hear the entire album in the concert. And she, she did it. Yeah. I mean, but, but, but how, I mean, I just, I just saw you two at Bonnaroo and they're doing the Joshua tree 30th anniversary tour. And there's a couple of those songs that I don't think they'd ever done live maybe at least not more than once or twice in, in their 30 year history. But now, yeah, they're only just now getting around to doing the album. You know, there's not going to be, there's not going to be songs like that at Taylor's where you go, yeah, you know, this, I love this song. I sure wish she'd do it live sometime. <laughs> she's definitely had a couple of those over the years, but I think she's gotten more and more just responsive and in tune with what the fans want. Like when there was a big push of people asking her to sing all too well at the Grammys in 2014, and she did. I was shocked that she did. Yeah, um, and, and and I don't I don't know necessarily how much that would have had to do with the the fan push. It might have. It might have had to, everything to do with that. But TV decisions on award shows those are um, there's a there's a lot of cooks in those in that kitchen. <laughs> a lot goes into that decision. Yeah. Yeah, I think back to that night, and that was such a great performance. But then, of course, we were all so disappointed when it didn't take album of the year. I think I'm still not over it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I don't read a lot into award shows. Um, that's one of those things that I wish that I could make it make sense to people that are the hardcore fans, because I know you root for who you want to win and you want to see them win every time. And, and you know, it's a great album and you may even, and it may even be the better album, but you know, Taylor's won a lot of awards and she was, you know, she was the youngest person to ever win that album of the year. She was, and they like to spread it around. You know, they like, they like to spread the love. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And and so I, I I don't get too worked up on those. You know, she she'd won it before, she won it after. Um so you gotta you gotta let other people win an award sometime. Yeah. Well I kind of wish that Taylor would sort of listen to you and put a little bit less focus on it because I just remember her saying so many times that she was disappointed by that loss and how she really pulled out all the stops in nineteen eighty nine to give herself the best shot at that. Yeah. Which I'm so glad she won, but it's really not everything. There's so many other ways to mark her success. Well, and yeah, I mean, and, and of course you're disappointed. And I would I would have been hugely disappointed if I put out that album and seen it do everything that it did and then it didn't win. Um, and and I'm, I'm certainly, goodness knows I'm not faulting her for, uh, you know, for, for being disappointed with that. But, um, you know, I mean, just it, it, those, th- those things kind of are what they are. And it's not necessarily the best thing that wins and it's not necessarily the most popular thing that wins. And sometimes stuff just wins because we like somebody and it's time to give them an award. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Will it be weird for you when the album cycle does start now that you're not in that journalist role anymore? It will be very, very strange for me to not, not necessarily not to hear the music at the same time that everybody else does because I, I think I heard Shake It Off about the same time that everybody else did, but I knew it was coming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you know, I, I've I've heard most of the albums a little bit before they came out, not not necessarily a whole lot. Um, but yeah, that's that's it's going to be it's going to be weird experiencing it as a fan. Um, you know, I'm I'm, I'm kind of hoping maybe somebody throws me a bone every once in a while and goes, "Hey, you might want to pay attention to the, your computer tomorrow," uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not the last person to find out. But yeah, it's 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 going to be it's going to be strange experiencing this just as a fan. Yeah, how did you sort of come to the decision to take your career in a different direction? Um, well, if you've if you followed the. Uh, the trends in journalism, then you probably know that there are fewer and fewer journalism jobs these days, pretty much on a daily basis. 
And um, there were, around the time that I left, uh, near the end of 2015, that was one of the waves. There were there were some big-name people at other um, newspapers that got, um, that got laid off or got buyouts just right before I left. And I was getting... I was getting some warning flags that that might be about to happen at USA Today, that USA Today was about to go through a cost-cutting move, and everything that I was seeing was suggesting that I would probably get caught in that. And so I figured it would be a lot easier to get a job while I had a job than get a job while I was unemployed. So yeah. <laughs> I just I, I jumped before I could get pushed. So just explain a little more about what you're doing now, because it seems like you're with a great company. Yeah, oh, I, I really am. And um, there weren't very many. I wasn't really looking for a job in the PR industry when um, when I got this. It just kind of dropped in my lap. But Shorefire, um, they're based in Brooklyn and in Nashville. And I've had relationships with that company for going back like 25 years. Uh, they've always been some of my favorite people to work with. They always had music that I loved. Um, they almost never had music that I didn't like. And so there weren't very many PR companies I would have even considered. But Surefire with an opportunity at this company, that was one that I jumped at to get a chance to work with these people and work with the clients that they had. Um, some of the big clients that they have are Bruce Springsteen, Zach Brown Band, Elvis Costello, Carol King, Maxwell. Um, for me, Bruce Springsteen kind of is what Taylor is for y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And why. yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I have the story of when I saw Bruce Springsteen in high school and he jumped out into the crowd and he's right in front of me and he reaches his hand into the air and I grab his hand. And oh, you know, wow. so we're right there with our hands clasped up in front of the, the entire arena. And, um, and so now I get to work for the company that does his PR. Haven't gotten to meet him, haven't gotten to talk to him, but, you know, but I've written a few press releases for him and that's just about as good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so, I mean, and that, that was a lot of it. And so I, work with their social media. I do a lot of writing for them, uh, a lot of the the data analytics to figure out what stories are working and how much they're getting shared and that kind of stuff. That's that's the sort of stuff I do for them. It's uh it's it's much more stable in terms of its hours. Um uh, not working round the clock every day like I would at USA Today sometimes. Um I'm working with a select stable of artists rather than having the uh, the opportunity to go and talk to anybody. And that's a little bit of an adjustment. Um, I don't go to as many shows as I did before. I can I still go to quite a few, but um, I buy tickets occasionally now, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which, which, which is actually kind of nice if, you know, if they're not like the $150 tickets, um, but it's, 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 it's kind of nice to, buy a ticket to and actually feel like you're going out of your way to support the artists that you like yeah. yeah exactly i went there's there's a singer that i just adore named betty levette uh an older r&b singer she was on motown back in the 60s but didn't really have any hits but one of my favorite singers in the whole world never plays nashville she had a show I went, I bought a ticket. I'm like on the second row to see one of my favorite singers ever. And, and that was just, I loved that. I loved buying a ticket to see Betty LeVette. Very cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I can't imagine that Taylor won't throw you some kind of bone. I feel like she, like you said, she remembers people and I think she'll remember you. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, and she's she's always been very great. I mean, if if she sees me somewhere, she has always been wonderful about going out of her way to say hello or to give me a shout out in front of people that have no idea that I know her. Um, so I, I do not expect anything like that. She has, she has been more than wonderful to me over the years. So I noticed on your Twitter that you had a dream about album six, and I just wondered if you could tell us what it sounded like in your dream. It sounded way too much like 1989 to have been um, worth anything. <laughs> <laughs> it was, um, I mean, it was just, it was, it was, it was more like what I call stress dreams than anything. It wasn't really stressful, but it was just, it was, it was the kind of dream that I would have had 
if I was working on a project. You know, if I'd been just like working on Taylor stories, then I might have a dream where I'm hearing music. And it was that kind of thing. It was just like, okay, if I'm having dreams about Taylor playing music, it's clearly time for there to be new music. I think we've all experienced that. <laughs> oh, oh, no, but, the, but the, no, okay, so now, now I'm like remembering this. Um, the, the, the weird thing for me was, um, and, and this was this was why it was a stress dream for me, because I didn't know about it. I didn't know that there was new music coming, but my DVR, and I don't even have a DVR, but in the dream, the DVR had gotten like the last 30 seconds of the single premiere. (laughs) And that's all that I heard. And it was like, oh my goodness, I just missed the premiere of the Taylor Swift single. Not only do I not know that it's coming in advance, I didn't even know it was happening until it was over. And I just happened to have... 30 seconds of it on my DVR. Everybody else has heard this freaking song. I got 30 seconds of it on my DVR. And it was like, I just, uh, well, the, the real life equivalent of that, the day I left, the day or the day after I left USA Today was when Taylor played the Nashville show that I went to. So I think it was, I think it was the next day. I think it was the day after my birthday because I left, I left USA Today on my birthday. And so I go to the show and standing in line in the industry line to go through and say hello to her. And there's a guy named Charlie Monk, who's big publisher in Nashville. has been around forever. They call him the mayor of Music Row. Everybody knows this guy. And Charlie Monk walks up to me and another guy who was a journalist, but is now in a different field in the music industry, walks up to us and goes, you guys used to matter. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Which coming from Charlie was really funny, but it was also really true. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's 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 the real life version of the dream. The dream, 30 seconds of the song that I didn't even know was coming. And uh, I used to matter. They used to would have told me. (laughs) I'm sure Taylor would disagree. (laughs) That's pretty funny, though. Yeah. Well, I feel like we could talk all night and we probably hopefully can talk again when Taylor finally does something because I just love getting your insight. It's so nice to hear from a perspective outside of just what we experience as fans. Great. Well, I'm happy to do it. Just any anytime you want to talk, just let me know. Do you want to let everyone know where they can follow you on social media? That would be a great idea. Um, the, the best places are um, on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Brian underscore Mansfield. Um, I'm also pretty easy to find on Facebook, but I, I don't usually friend people there unless I know who they are. <laughs> and so there are a lot of people that I know. Um, I know only by their avatars, and so it doesn't necessarily make sense on Facebook. But yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Brian underscore Mansfield. And then that way, the next time you have a dream and are tweeting about it, they'll get all the updates on Twitter. That's right. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Brian. This has been an absolute blast. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we hope you enjoyed listening to our chat with Brian. We all had so much fun doing it, and hopefully it helped tide everyone over a little bit as we continue to wait for this album. Yeah, I think it was helpful for me personally. And it's just nice to confirm that he's just like us, eagerly anticipating the music. The whole world is, definitely. He is. Like he said, he's just a fan, just like all of us, waiting to hear what's coming. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to us on iTunes, and then that will download our latest episodes for you automatically every week. So we'd always appreciate if you do that. You can contact us in a variety of ways if you have any feedback on the episode or any questions that you want to ask Brian or comments. You can follow us on Twitter at SwiftCast13. You can email us at SwiftCast13show at gmail.com. Or you can go to our website, SwiftCast13.com, which has all of our contact methods on there for you. You know, we really should have asked Brian what he thinks Taylor will do next week. Yeah, we should have. He probably would have known, because we have no idea anymore. We don't. I'm really looking forward to having this segment at the end of the episode return when she starts being more visible hopefully soon for now though i'm at a loss of what she'll do 
Yeah, I just hope she pops up somewhere. We're getting towards the end of June, so I guess soon we'll know if she has her 4th of July party. That's a really good point. And you have to figure with every other album cycle, July, things start heating up a little bit. So if she stays on track with a fall release, I think we'll be seeing more of her very soon. And as always, we will keep you guys updated on everything. But for now, for episode 204, this has been Ashley, Steph, and Adam. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Bye, guys. See ya. Thank you for listening to this episode of SwiftCast. Visit us on the web at theswiftcast.com. SwiftCast is not directly affiliated with Taylor Swift, Big Machine Label Group, or 13 Management.